I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible in a book of Matthew, uh, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy and for the joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he has found some pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you'll uh, just leave your Bible open at Matthew 13, that will be the right place for you to be. Last Sunday morning, I preached a sermon about the Lord's kingdom. And that sermon was based on John 18:36 and what our Lord said on that occasion. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. It was my uh, original intention when I knew I would be preaching last Sunday that I would preach a second sermon on Sunday night that would also deal with the kingdom. but did not do so because of the report that we had about India, a report, incidentally, that I was more than happy to hear. But I didn't want to give that sermon away, so here it is tonight. And uh, we're going to begin in Matthew 13, which is itself a, a very interesting chapter. At the very outset of the chapter, we are told that Jesus sat by the sea. On the same day, Matthew records, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Sometimes we we don't really pay a lot of attention to a particular statement because we want to get to what follows it. And what follows it, of course, is what we normally talk about. And, and we will. But, but I was just thinking about the fact, and perhaps you have too, that chapter 12 shows Jesus having an extremely busy but difficult day. Uh, it was a day of controversy. Uh, it was a day of accusation, a day of defense. And, and it is uh, uh, perhaps worth wondering if what Jesus does at the beginning of Matthew 13 is just to sit to rest. <laughs> I, I could imagine that having gone through everything he went to, he would have liked to have had some time just to be quiet. But it wasn't possible. Because his popularity had begun to swell and people came and a multitude congregated. Jesus entered a boat and uh, did so in order to give him a little bit of room so that he could speak to those who were on the shore. Incidentally, Jesus sat in the boat while people stood. I don't know when that ended, but it shouldn't have. Uh, teachers used to sit while their students stood, and I'm sure you wouldn't like that. But that's what it would happen in ancient times. Often teachers sat while their 
crowd around them stood. Verse 3 of Matthew 13 says that he taught many things in parables. These simple stories that brought out realistic views of life with an important lesson to them were often used by Jesus because they accomplished a dual purpose. One of the purposes was that great truths could be communicated by those parables and easily understood by those with honest hearts. At the very same time, those with hard hearts would miss the meaning of those parables completely. Same story, different response. The disciples didn't understand exactly why Jesus spent so much time in parables. So in verse 11, they ask him, why, verse 10, they ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? And beginning at verse 12, he explains that to them. He says in verse 12, because it has been given to you, you disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And then Jesus says this sad, sad statement. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. And then fortunately for the disciples, Jesus says in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. That was his hope for them. Within this chapter, Matthew records seven of those parables that Jesus spoke. And among those seven are two that I want us to focus on tonight. You heard the reading from verses 44 through 46, but I want to read it again, please. Look with me. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Each of those parables, you will note, takes just one sentence to state. And yet both of them have real substance to them and offer some lessons about the kingdom which you and I must not overlook. I want to do two things, if I could, tonight. First, we're going to briefly consider the parables. We're not going to take long to do that. And then we're going to take note of two truths that we can take from those parables. First of all, let's look at the parables. 
won't take long because they're not long. In each of them, Jesus made clear he was showing those who were willing to listen to him something about the kingdom of heaven. Twice. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. And verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. You, you would recall, hopefully, that the term kingdom can be used in several ways. We talked about that last Sunday morning. This is certainly not talking about physical, geographical territory in these parables. Jesus isn't talking about that. And it is not a picture of the final home of the saints, although it could lead to that. These parables relate to the kingdom that would be established on the day of Pentecost after the Lord's resurrection and ascension back to heaven as recorded in Acts 2. In other words, the church. That which Jesus had promised in Matthew 16 and had come to pass on that wonderful day of Pentecost. The Lord wanted to impress on his hearers the worth or the value of became, becoming part of his kingdom. And that's why the kingdom is compared to treasure and to a pearl of great price. Now, when you think about the first parable or the second parable or the first parable, the man and his reaction to the treasure that he found and the links to which both he and the pearl merchant would go to possess a treasure and a pearl show the worth of being in the kingdom. That's, that's the point. So, some have made a tremendous mistake, and what I would unfortunately call a foolish mistake, because they, they're looking for different things here that Jesus is not trying to emphasize. And, and I'll just give you one example. They look at the story that Jesus is telling about a man finding a treasure hidden in the field. And then he, then Matthew says, and he hid it, sold all that he had, and bought that field. Ah, dishonesty. Here's a man who finds treasure on somebody else's land. He doesn't let them know that he's found the treasure, and he buys this. He was really a crook. Jesus is not commending the man's action. He's just telling what happened. But the, 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 the emphasis that the Lord is trying to make from this parable is that this man considered that treasure so valuable, he was willing to sell everything he had so he might possess that treasure. That's what Jesus was teaching. And it's unfortunate that sometimes people miss what they really should get. Now, we could spend more time on the parables themselves, but I want us to consider what ought to come to mind from hearing these parables. First of all, the kingdom is precious. That's what we need to see. The kingdom is precious. The word precious means of great value, of high price, highly esteemed or cherished. That's the kingdom. And, and some, maybe even among those who were standing on the shore listening to Jesus, would connect it only to things like diamonds or other jewels when they think about something precious. And, and these were precious things. Jesus knew that people would connect a costly pearl to the idea of being precious. 
But they needed to know more than that. This is not just a great treasure and it's not just a costly pearl. What do they represent? What should they teach? That the kingdom is precious. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you'll turn to 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 7. Peter says that the genuineness of your faith. What about your faith, Peter? Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is a faith more precious than gold. A faith that's necessary if we're going to get into the kingdom. Now, you're not going to get into the kingdom without faith. And that faith is precious to get into the precious kingdom. In verse 19 of the same first chapter of 1 Peter, Peter writes that we are redeemed or that we have been uh, redeemed from corruptible things, verse 18, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus is precious because it secures our redemption, our salvation, our forgiveness from sins. And then look at 2 Peter, the first chapter. 2 Peter, the first chapter and verse 4. And Peter writes about, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Exceeding and great and precious promises. And so faith is precious. The Lord's blood is precious. The promises of God are precious. Those are all costly things. Valuable things. And we can understand if those things are precious, why the kingdom, the Lord's church, would be precious to God and to us. It would certainly be precious to God because of the price paid for it to exist. Jesus had to give his life to purchase the church. You have heard Acts 20 verse 28 multiple times. But, but don't ever get tired of it. Because when Paul speaks to those Ephesian elders, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Elders have a tremendous responsibility not only to shepherd the church of God, but to realize that that church of God is so precious that it took blood for it to exist. Jesus gave his life to purchase the church. How, how could anyone who considers the blood of Jesus precious ever minimize the importance of being a part of his kingdom? And yet, you probably have heard, as I have heard, People minimize being in the church or being in the kingdom. You have heard people say, I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside the church. Really? Then was God wrong in letting his son die? Was Jesus not smart? 
to let himself be crucified if you really don't even have to be a part of his blood-bought institution? The church is precious to God. The price paid for it was an enormous one. And it would be precious to God because of the purpose that he had in mind for the kingdom. Again, look in your Bible at Ephesians 3, another familiar verse, two verses, Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul would say, to the intent that now the manifold, multifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose, the, the great wisdom, the, the superlative wisdom of God saw the purpose of establishing a church so that men could be a part of that kingdom on the earth. Nowhere after the church begins in Acts 2 are people encouraged to seek salvation outside of the church and apart from it. You have heard people say, oh, the church can't save. That's true. But the next question has to be, but where are the saved in the church? That's what the New Testament shows. Saved people are in the church. That is the church. Saved people. New Testament doesn't say there are a lot of saved people out of the church. They're in the church. Obviously, the church is important to God. But the kingdom is also precious to us, just as it is to God, because the kingdom offers us peace. And that's what we want. Not the peace of the world, but the peace that comes by being right with God. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We have peace with God because of his Son. The kingdom provides us with an opportunity to have king kinsmen, other people all over the world. And remember, Jesus taught that those who would follow him would have, this is a quote, his words, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. How is that true? Because we're all family in the Lord's kingdom, Mark 10, verse 30. And how many would that be? Jesus said, a hundredfold now in this time. No Christian is without a family. You might not have a living relative, blood relative, but if you're a Christian, you're a part of a great family. And you have brothers and sisters, some of whom you will never meet, but you have them all over the world. One other truth needs to be seen here. And that is the price we have to pay. We saw in each parable that the person wanting to possess either the treasure or that great pearl had to pay for it. How much? Verse 44 says, all that he has. 
Verse 46 says, all that he had. And we've already noted the price God had to pay for the kingdom to exist, but you and I have to pay a price too. We have to sacrifice self. Jesus taught in Luke 9.23 that one who follows him must deny himself. We're, we're approaching a time when many people in the religious world go through a strange ceremony in which they deny something to themselves. They don't deny themselves. In fact, many of those revelers will get as drunk as they can get before Lent starts. Well, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Talking about denying yourself, saying no to me, saying I don't count anymore, saying what Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what denying self means. And that is not easy, especially today in a society that glorifies not giving up anything to be religious. Just just accept the idea, just show in some way that you're religious, go to church once or twice a year, and surely that's enough. The cheap Christianity, which some people really want, is the very opposite of what Jesus was teaching in these parables. Church membership that requires little is not precious. It's worthless. Jesus shows that in these parables. We may have to sacrifice not just ourselves, which we do, and and even to be willing to die for the faith. But we have to sacrifice relationships sometime too. Maybe former friends, maybe family members. And Jesus did not hide this fact. He would say, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Your family, physical family, can't be first. God has to be. We have to use our time, our talents, our money, if we want to possess the kingdom. And and those who don't, must not be like the man in the first parable because it says, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he had. He, he found that treasure to be a joy. Those who endure church membership rather than enjoy it are just not getting it. They're missing it. Now, in these parables, there are several similarities. But there's also a notable difference. One man found the treasure. I think we could say he almost stumbled on it. He wasn't looking for treasure. He just happened to find it. The other man is seeking beautiful pearls. He's actively looking for a great pearl. And what we can take from that, I think, is we often see two kinds of people who find the kingdom. Some almost stumble over the truth. We have some members in this congregation who are like that. They didn't come here looking for what they really found. 
but they found it. And they considered it a treasure. The Samaritan woman is certainly an example of this. She came to get water and she found living water instead. That's John 4. A chapter earlier, Nicodemus is different than the woman because he comes seeking to know the truth. And there are good-hearted people who have not yet found the truth but are still honestly searching for truth. We need to be sensitive to both kinds of people. And when those opportunities exist that somebody shows up and they're not really looking, they don't really know what they're looking for, they're just here, we need to make sure we try to captivate that moment to make sure that they have an opportunity to find the great treasure. And when those come who are seeking, we must let them know that there is indeed a pearl of great price. That it will require a lot of them, but it will be worth having. You know, that, that merchant, it doesn't say he didn't have any pearls. And you can assume maybe he did, but he found one that was so superlative that it was worth more than anything else he had. And he was willing to give his all to possess it. Now the question is this. Are you in the kingdom? If it's precious to God, it ought to be precious to you. But you can't really say that it's precious to you if you're staying outside of it. You need to be in it. Because it's your hope of salvation. And that's why we're offering an invitation tonight. If you are not in the kingdom, if you're not in the Lord's church, this is your opportunity to get in, to recognize how precious it is to be a part of the saved body of Jesus. Perhaps another question would be appropriate, and that is if you're in the kingdom, are you really living like a kingdom citizen should? It is the joy that that man felt, the joy you feel, being in Christ. If not, maybe you need an attitude adjustment. And maybe it calls for you to ask for fellow Christians to pray with you and for you.